journey today is a pretty special day for me, not just because it's my last sermon that I get to preach as your church planting resident, um, but because in the sovereignty of God, three years ago today, July 9th of 2020, I actually wrote a prayer in this journal here, um, the first time ever um, when I kind of put into words why I felt like God was stirring in my heart and what he was leading me and my family to do. In fact, the, the first time I, I wrote that I believed that he had put a desire in me to leave my home uh, to maybe go and lead a church. wasn't really sure, so I said maybe lead a church. Uh, a passion for the word of God to preach it. And I know what that would look like or how that was going to happen, but I knew one thing, that I would hold myself back. And I wrote about that. I'm afraid that I will hold myself back. And so I prayed for the grace to press in and press through, to follow him, not having any answers, but just knowing that's what he was calling me to. And I just want to before we jump into the sermon today, what I want to say is thank you to this church for being the answer to prayer three years ago that I wrote in my journal. Thank you for being that church um, that God knew that I would go to, that me and my family would find ourselves in, that I didn't even know existed. Um, we would tell our families a few days later on, I think the 12th, that we were going to move in six months. Again, not knowing where. We just knew that we were going to leave. Um, a couple months later, Kansas City would then fill in that blank, a place we knew nobody. Didn't even know there was a place called Lee Summit. Uh, and then two months after that, on November 10th, I would talk to a certain Christian Newsome about joining his church eventually, maybe. And two months exactly from that date, January 10th, 2021, I walked through the doors of Journey Church International for the very first time. Um, and I've been here for two and a half years with my family, and it has just been an absolute privilege and honor uh, to be with you guys, to serve under these people here, to serve with you. Um, it's just been an absolute privilege and honor. And I want to say before we get into the sermon, just thank you for that. Um, it's just great to look back and see, like, man, we don't have answers and we don't know what's going to happen, but God knows what he's doing, which is a shock to really shouldn't be nobody, but for some reason... We're always surprised by that. Um, so just thank you so much for what you guys have meant to us. We would not be doing what we're doing today or heading in the direction that we're going today without your investment and love and support and the time that we've had here in the Midwest. So thank you. All right, before I start crying, all right, I got two more weeks left, all right? I'm not leaving yet, all right? We got to talk about Matthew 25. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 25. We're going to be in verses 14 through 30. Um, we have been in a series for seven weeks now called Kingdom Come. We've been talking about the return of Jesus, okay? We've been learning all about that, what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. And the last three weeks of the series, we have been in Matthew 25. And Matthew 25 kicked off um, talking about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, in verse 14, the first word that Jesus actually says is again. He's connecting it right back to the first verse when he says the kingdom of heaven is like, and he shared a parable. He's about to share another parable. And here's what I believe a summary snapshot of the chapter uh, 25 would be is this. Jesus is teaching us what the kingdom should do while we wait for the kingdom to come. You want to know what Matthew 25 is all about? I believe it's Jesus teaching us as the kingdom of God right now what we should be doing while we wait for the kingdom of God, his rule and reign, to ultimately come. And so last week, we talked about the importance of our own relationship with Jesus, right? Being spiritually prepared, knowing that we need to abide in Christ above all things. Before we do anything, we need to be with Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. Our life revolves around a relationship. And so we got to know to prioritize that inner life relationship with him, that we are a branch, we abide in him before we do anything. Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of being spiritually busy. Specifically, we're going to be talking about using our gifts and talents for the church, for the kingdom of God that he's entrusted 
to us. So we're just going to walk through this passage today. i got a few points for you out of this parable. So let's look at the first two verses, Matthew 25, 14 through 15. All the scripture will be on the screens behind me. You have your notes in your hand or maybe on the JSI app. Everything you need will be here today for you to follow along well. Jesus says this in verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The first point today is that we all, everyone, has been entrusted with gifts. Every single person in this room, in the church, has been entrusted with gifts. You say, how did you get there with this parable? Well, the bags of gold that that is translated as is actually the Greek word talaton. It's the word that we get talent from in our English dictionary. It comes from this passage in our Bible. And back then, a talent was actually a measurement of currency um, in the way of weighing it. It was the heaviest weight you could have of that currency. So there's not really an easy modern conversion of what it could be, but everyone universally knows this was a wealthy amount of money. Um, for us, some people theorize it was anywhere between 15 to 20 years worth of wages. So if you can do some quick math in your head, we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars entrusted to these servants. Now, when we talk about being talented, we're not talking about people being wealthy. We're talking about them being gifted. And most people take this passage that Jesus is teaching his disciples that he has entrusted to them very valuable and precious things, giftings, talents, resources, their overall life, and they should be used for the kingdom. Every single person has been entrusted with gifts. We see this. Best, I believe, and one of the best passages that we have on the, the reality of how we even are formed and brought into this world. In Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, David writes this. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's a beautiful passage of scripture. And our world does not buy it. It does not buy any type of meaningful significance of how you and I came into this world. But what this tells us is that no one is in this room by accident. Your parents may have told you that. That is not true. They told me that. My dad texted me after the first service and said, son, I'm sorry I told you you were in an accident. I didn't know better. <laughs> I said, dad, I got one of those myself. It's okay. All right? My third kid. All right? Even though it may have seemed to be an accident from their perspective, here's what the scripture tells us. No one got through the cracks on accident on God's watch. He didn't see someone be born to the world and go, uh-oh, they weren't supposed to be here. No, 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 no. He had a hand in shaping and crafting and kneading you and I together. That is what this passage tells us. We're here by design with purpose. Verse 14 could literally be translated, I am fearfully or awesomely, is what that word means, set apart. You and I have been created for a purpose, for a role, set apart to do a work. A parallel passage in the New Testament would be Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 2.10, he says, For you and I, we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Everyone in this room has been created with intentionality, with design, with a purpose. And we see that mostly through the gifts that he has given us. Now, two things about these gifts that we learn from these two verses that we just read in Matthew 25. The first one is that our gifts come from God. Our gifts come from God. James 1.17 won't be on the screen, but it's a great passage that tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. 
Everything good in your life that you love and enjoy, what you need to know is that's a gift to you. In the parable, the master entrusted his wealth to these servants. It's obvious that they're recipients of something very valuable and precious. They did not earn it. The same is true for you and I. We have not earned anything. We may think that we do, and we may have worked hard to get the things that we have in our life, but even Paul would say that. He says, man, I've worked harder than anyone else in the church, but it was not him. It was the grace of God empowering him to do it. The grace to even strive and work hard is a gift from God. The believers in Corinth, though, were not getting this, and so Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, for who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? This should humble us and give us great gratitude. Listen, I'm thankful that Christianity is not a boastful religion. I got nothing to show, nothing to brag about. Everything I have in my life, everything I am, I have received. And that is true for you and I both. Our gifts that we have, our talents, abilities, whether possessions or opportunities, they're gifts. It all belongs to God, but it's been entrusted to you and I. The first thing is that our gifts have been given to us by God. Secondly, our gifts vary in quantity but not significance. Our gifts as a people, they're different in quantity but not significance. The master entrusted his wealth to these servants, but it's obvious that he did it according to each of their ability. That word ability is literally dunamai. It means power. Well, that tells us that you and I have been created equally, but we have different capacities. Not everyone is on the same playing field as it results or as it relates to what you've been gifted with or your capabilities or abilities. They are all different. And this is a good thing. This is how God has wanted his church to operate. Look at Paul says in Romans 12. He says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. We just talked about that a little bit, right? In accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. You've been given this. Verse 4, for just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Listen. Sad news for you today. Some people are more gifted than you. Likely a lot of us have people in our lives that are more gifted than you and I, right? I am not a, a very gifted person. I think I'm a one gold bag kind of dude, all right? That's just my reality, all right? I get envious and jealous of people who do a lot of awesome things, and it seems like they don't break a sweat doing it. I have to try really hard to do more mediocrely well at the stuff, okay? Like, I'm not impressive, and that's okay, because that's how God has designed the body to work. Here's the key thing to understand. Just because our gifts vary doesn't mean that we're any more or less valuable in the kingdom. There's a temptation to think that. You may think to yourself, because your gift isn't preaching or leading worship or playing an instrument or being on stage, that you have nothing to bring to the table. And that's not true. Your gift is necessary. Paul, again, dealing with the church in Corinth, just a messed up church, by the way, and they're fighting and bickering and trying to make themselves look better. And so he writes to them about this reality. He says this, 1 Corinthians 12, even so the body is not made up of one part but many. Now the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body, no matter how you feel about yourself. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? I love how Paul is reasoning here. 
Verse 18 is a great passage. In, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Not by accident, but by intention and purpose, by design. Verse 19, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. Look at these last two verses. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What a great word to use by Paul. This is what this tells us. There's not a, an add-on in the church today. You didn't get thrown into this whole thing called the church and God thought, we could use that person maybe. No, 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 no. You have a gift that he's given you that is in his mind indispensable to the kingdom. Every one of us. Not by accident. Not just a bonus. He made the body exactly as he wanted it to be. Here's the bottom line for us. Everyone has been given varying gifts and abilities by God that are necessary for the kingdom of God to accomplish its purpose. It takes all of us. There's about 10 people on stage every Sunday pulling off a service. Worshippers, band members, a guy preaching, a great host like Ryan. That's fantastic. I want you to know something. It takes a lot more than 10 people to make a church run. You know that, right? This up here is not the church. It's awesome and wonderful. I'm so blessed to be a part of it. Love listening to my wife lead worship. But this ain't the church. You are the church. And we need all of you using your gifts and talents and abilities to make this thing work, to accomplish the mission God's given us. We're not going to win the war being up here every Sunday and you're just looking at us. We got to get in the game. We got to use the gift that God has given us, which leads us to our second point. Look at the next two verses. Matthew 25, 16 through 18. The man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work. He gained five more bags. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Here's what the second point is that we learned from this passage. Everyone is expected to use their gifts. We've all been entrusted with gifts. We also are expected to use these gifts. That's what happened with these servants. They take what they're given, they immediately do something with it. Obviously, there is an example here of what we should and shouldn't do, right? The two servants, the five and two bags of gold, they put their money to work. It means that they invested it, they made a business with it. They used what was entrusted to them. And you and I have the same call in our lives as a church. Look what Peter says. Each, each of you should use whatever gift you have, receive to reserve others, just as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So whatever you've been given, whatever gift that is, though it may be different, it varies, you should be using it as a faithful steward that's been entrusted with something great and precious. Now what did this other servant do, though? It said that he took the bag of gold he had and he dug a hole and he put it in there and buried it. Now to us, that might seem kind of silly. Like, what is this guy doing? But in the first century, that actually would have made a lot of sense. If you had something valuable that was a lot of money, or if you literally had a bag of gold or of silver, you very likely would have dug a hole and put it in there because we didn't have banks back in the day. They didn't have safe boxes. If you wanted to keep something safe, you would put it in the ground. And so this guy does exactly that. But you can probably tell, if you've never read this parable before, that this is not going to end well for the third servant, right? But why is that? Because instead of putting his money to work, he simply hid it to avoid losing it. Which, again, sounds reasonable. Sounds like a smart play. I think like this guy. I'm a little bit, you know, I like to avoid risk. And so I'm kind of on his team like, this guy's smart, right? I want to lose it. But he assumed that if he avoided any risk and kept his gift safe, he would have done well. 
Here's the issue. He avoided making mistakes with his gift, but that led him to failing to use his gift. Because he avoided any risk, he failed to actually use what he was given. What this made me think of, it made me think of when you watch football as a casual fan, I think the worst thing you can ever witness is when your team decides to go into prevent defense. Any football fans in here? You guys know what I'm talking about, prevent defense? Prevent defense, if you don't know what it is, it's when your team gets a lead and they end up to, uh, they decide to play a little bit more softer coverage than they were before. They might be walloping this other team, and all of a sudden there's a lead, they get into the fourth quarter, like, all right, we need to milk the clock, and so let's give them some yards, let's give them some first downs, just don't give up the big play. Don't give up a touchdown, we're going to be okay. Right? It's maddening, because guess what? It never works. The late John Madden would say that the only thing prevent defense does is it prevents you from winning the game. We've seen this too many times as Chiefs fans. We get a lead and no lead is safe. But sometimes it works out for us. In fact, I witnessed this in a miraculous way. Last year at the playoffs, the divisional round, when we played the Buffalo Bills here at Arrowhead Stadium. And I witnessed a heartbreaking moment when Josh Allen, a great quarterback in the league, threw a touchdown to Gabe Davis with 13 seconds left on the clock. I'm sorry, Bailey. As a Bills fan... This is painful, I'm sure. When you take the lead with 13 seconds left on the clock, let me tell you what usually happens. You win that game. But here's the issue that the Bills did. The Bills did not play the game as they were supposed to. They played not to lose rather than played to win, and they went into prevent defense, allowed Patty Mahomes and co. to go down the field, kick a 49-yard field goal, tie the game, go into overtime, and win. And they ended up losing a game they had no business losing because they played prevent. Just like this third servant. And here's what we learn about how he handled his gift. We should not simply avoid to or aim to avoid doing the wrong things, but strive to do the right things. See, we're not called to a life of avoidance, but of obedience. God does not save you and just tell you, hey, make sure you don't do any crazy sin in your life. I'll see you at the end. That's not the life he's called you to. It's not just keep your head down and make sure you don't do anything crazy and just watch all the landmines of temptation and sin in your life. We should avoid that. But the way we avoid that is by responding to a call that's greater to live a life unto God, to use our gifts, to be a part of the mission that he's invited us into. And by doing that, you will fight sin and temptation in your life. Not just avoiding it, but through obedience you'll conquer it. We won't get to the end of our life and just say, all right, Lord, well, I didn't kill anybody, didn't cheat on my wife, I didn't steal any money, let me in. You'd be like, uh, okay, you didn't use what I entrusted to you. You totally missed the point. I saved you for a purpose, for a role, set you apart with the design, with skills and gifts, not just to avoid the bad things of life, but to live as I created you to. We're not just called to live a life of avoidance, but of obedience. Our guy played prevent defense and he lost. If we do the same, we likewise will too. So we've got to use our gifts. You're like, okay, well, then how do I do that? Well, first, you've got to know what they are. I think that's pretty clear. Like, if you don't know what your gifts are, you can't use your gifts well. And I want to think through this as like a small picture and big picture way, all right? And I think they correlate, and you'll see how that works in a second. Small picture is I'd say this. Everyone should be serving in some capacity in their local church. If you're in this room today and you consider journey your home church, if you're online and you have a local church somewhere else, you have responsibility, a call in your life to use your gifts to serve the local body of the church. Obviously, there's some constraints on some people with age or season of life or the kind of business or work you might have. You may not be able to do that consistently. But for the most of us who live normal lives, who show up every week, we have a call in our life to use these gifts in the church. 
In fact, today, right now, actually, in Growth Track Step 2, people are learning how they are gifted, their personality, their shape that God created them in, and they're learning how they fit in this whole big thing called the church. They're discovering how God has shaped them. If you've never been to Step 2 of Growth Track, I want to encourage you. This connection card can be your best friend. You can fill this out, and you can check the box that says, I want more info about Growth Track, and we will get you connected for next month so you can learn how God has created you and what gifts you might have. If you've done that before and you've just never started serving or maybe you've taken a break, I want to encourage you, get involved in the church. Talk to somebody. Talk to Ryan, to Mike, talk to me, talk to a random stranger. They'll find you where you need to go and you can plug in and you can serve today. In fact, an easy way also to get plugged in and start using your gifts in some shape or form or just meet a need is Serve Week. It's happening next Sunday, July 16th to the 22nd. Amen, Sherry? Amen. Sherry, we'd love for you to come and help out. we got a ton of different service opportunities for any age, any skill level, no matter what you do or can do or can't do, there is an opportunity for you to plug in and serve and be a part of this citywide outreach event where we're showing the people the love of Jesus and the gospel embodied. Why would you miss out on that? I don't know. So go get involved. Go hear about an opportunity. Find something you can do and watch God move and work in and through you. It's a small picture thing. I guarantee you, we got stuff for you to do, all right? We're not ever hurting for things to do as a church. We're hurting for laborers. That's why Jesus said, pray for more of those. We need a lot of them. Get involved. Big picture, though, I think is going to take a little bit more time. I think the big picture is something that you don't necessarily do just every Sunday or weekly, but you spend your whole life doing. So it's a little bit more of a kind of a total concept. And I think the way you discover what that is by answering a few questions that I have on the screen behind me, that I think if you answer these, it will lead you to discovering what I would refer to as a kingdom role. Like, why am I in this thing? What am I supposed to do? With all this information, where's my spot? The first question I'd say is, what are you passionate or burdened about? What is in you uniquely that you just get fired up about, uh, up about that other people don't? We all have our different soapboxes. No matter how introverted you are, you press a button, you say something, someone can get fired up, all right? We all have that. No matter how weird your gifts are or different they are, there's something that God has given you that you just have a fire for or you're heartbroken for, whatever that could be. It might be that you love organization. Someone fires up a, a spreadsheet and you become a different person, all right? Listen, I love you, all right? I'm not that guy, but you're incredible. Like, that's fantastic. Maybe you're just really people-oriented. You have a heart for people to be cared for and seen and known. You can have great spatial intelligence. You can look at a room and make it beautiful and inviting. I look at a room and see four walls and a ceiling, okay? Whatever it is, you may have different passions. You're great with your hands. You just know how to make things. You like to work hard. I don't know what it is, but there's something in you that God has placed in you that gets you fired up, that you're passionate and burdened about. The second thing is, what are you uniquely good at? What is it something that you just find naturally easy to do? We all have it, all right? My wife is a great and wonderful singer. I wish that I was given that gift. God did not give me that gift, and I'm kind of upset about it. But no matter how many times I sing in the shower or take any singing lessons in my whole life, I will never sing as good as my wife. And I don't even think she tries. Because that's what she's uniquely gifted at. Not the only thing, by the way, but a great gift that she has is just a beautiful voice. What is that for you? And it may not even be something you enjoy doing. It may just be something that you know you're really good at that comes naturally or someone has told you that. But you still have a responsibility to steward that gift or that unique ability that you're good at. What is that? And then thirdly, I think this is where it all comes together, is what is a gospel need that can be answered by those two things? You look at what you're passionate and burdened by, what you're uniquely good at that God's gifted you in, 
And then you try to find a lane to run in in the kingdom of God that meets a gospel need. And once you find all three of those things, I think you've discovered your kingdom rule. I think you're finally hitting your stride. But I think it takes time and a lot of trial and error. So my advice to people who don't know what that yet is, don't just wait for the perfect opportunity to come by for you to be like, oh, there it is. And until then, I'm just going to sit on my hands. I'm going to be on the sidelines. No, no, no. You have been called to get in the game. Like right now. Like God wants you to be involved right now as you are discerning this. Not just to wait for the perfect shaped opportunity for you, but to be active. In fact, I think that's one half of trying to discover this. Two things that are necessary is one, step out and do things. Serve, try stuff out, and also be in community. You got to have those two things. If you don't have those two things, I don't think you'll have any luck at finding out what this looks like for you. That was my story. I did not know what I was going to do as an 18-year-old following Jesus. I was insecure. I was broken. I was pathetic. My wife's own words. She knew me then. But, man, in time, I just stepped into stuff. I said yes to whatever I could. I tried things out. I found out what I didn't like. I found out what I did like. And then I discovered through other people what things I did really well, whether or not I saw them or not. Some things you got to have called out on you. You don't even see them in yourself. Or you think you're good at something. You think you're gifted. You're passionate about something, but you're afraid to actually say it. So you need people to affirm it in your life. That's what the church does. And you're only going to discover that by being involved and being around community. Letting the church be the church. And you take your time, and I think you'll find clarity on what that kingdom role is. Kind of small picture, big picture of how God has called you to use your gifts. Let's keep reading to see how this parable wraps up. Verses 19 through 30. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold did the same deal. He doubled him, told his master. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few. I'm going to put you over much. Come into my happiness. But verse 24, what happened with the man with the one gold bag? He said, master, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out, and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I will have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Verse 30, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Told you it wasn't going to end well for that third servant. And here's the third point that we learned today about our gifts. Everyone will be rewarded for how they use their gifts. Everyone will be rewarded for how they use their gifts or not use their gifts. We see at the end of the parable the outcome of all three of these servants, right? The first two, I think they got a pretty good deal. They got two significant rewards because of how they used what was entrusted to them. The first one is they received greater opportunity. They received greater opportunity. Because of their faithfulness, what they were entrusted with, it led to more responsibility. That's what the master said. You've been faithful over few. I'm going to make you faithful over much. An Australian commentator on the book of Matthew, he puts it plainly when he says, once again, Jesus is teaching that the reward for good work is the opportunity of doing further work. That's how the kingdom of God works. 
you're faithful with what he's given you. He knows when and how to increase your scope of responsibility to be faithful with more. You get to do more things for him. You get to be more invited into the mission of God by just being faithful with what he's entrusted to you. I've seen this played out in my own life and my friend's life. And one in particular, one of mine and Hannah's closest friends, her name is Kat. We've known her for about six or seven years now. Um, we used to run a college ministry at our home church. And one day I kept hearing about this girl pop up in our community. I hadn't met her yet. Her name was Kathleen. And she was just kind of like this fireball person. And people were like, you got to meet her. And so eventually we used to have a Sunday night service. And as a college group, we were asked to serve ice cream for something. Can't tell you why. I don't even know what flavors we had, but we were serving ice cream. And one time I saw her at the end of that uh, Sunday night, and I walked up and I introduced myself because I didn't recognize her. Found out she was this Kathleen that I've heard about, and I didn't know that I was going to meet a, a friend of a lifetime in that moment. She eventually would get more involved in our ministry, more involved in the church. She would be in a small group, eventually lead a small group in time. Our church wanted to start a ministry to help rescue young women at risk of sex trafficking. And so they hired a director. They found someone who run the whole thing, but they needed an associate. And Kat's name came up just because of her involvement in the church and how she was always faithful, just jump in, meet a need, and use her gifts as she could. And so she started to work in that ministry called Purchase, and over time, that director would phase out. She would be elevated to be the director of that ministry. As time went on, they would want to increase that ministry to be not just one, but five different ministries called The Hub that would seek to help people in sex trafficking, the homeless ministry or homeless population, foster care system, racial reconciliation, and the educational domain. And she now oversees that as the, the executive director with a staff team of 15 to 20 and hundreds of volunteers doing great work in the city. And it all started with ice cream. Girl was just scooping ice cream. And as she was faithful with a little task like that, and she continued on and how God increased her responsibilities, one thing led to another and she was given greater opportunity. Now that may not look the same for you. I'm not saying you're going to one day run an organization or a ministry. But the principle is true for all of us. That as we're faithful to what God has entrusted to us, he knows how to give us more opportunity for work. That will help us to run more in the lane that he has created us to run in. Which means this, that if you are someone today frustrated with your scope of responsibility, maybe frustrated with your stagnant growth in your walk with Jesus, it could be because you have not been faithful with what he has put before you. And it may be good for you to reevaluate some things and look at your life, your resources, your relationships, your job, your involvement in the church, and just ask yourself, am I being faithful with what God has put right before me? Or am I too busy thinking about what's next that I've overlooked what he's had right here at my feet? They, re they received greater opportunity. They also received greater or true joy. And the master invites both the servants, gives them the same response because of what they do with their gift. He says, enter into your master's happiness. That word happiness is literally translated as joy. Jesus would use that exact word in John 15, 10 and 11 when he would say, if you, disciples, keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this. Why? So that my joy, Jesus' joy, may be in you and that your joy may be complete. See, one of the best rewards that we can get for being faithful with the gifts and talents that God has given us is the true joy of Jesus himself. I'm not talking about like happiness that comes and goes. Not the, the things that we are pursuing every day, our friends and family members, trying to scratch the itch in our heart. I'm talking about soul-satisfying joy that you can't find anywhere else only comes from serving Jesus I don't be a salesman up here, but I'm telling you, there's something to get out of this. When you use your entire life for him, 
when you run in the lane that he's created for you, finding out how you're shaped and your gifts and talents and using them for the kingdom of God, doing the good works he sets you apart to do, I'm telling you, that will be true joy. Psalm 1611 says that in his presence is fullness of joy. Listen, I do not believe that we wait until heaven to experience that. I believe we can experience that today by simply following him and being faithful for what he's entrusted to us. These two servants, they got great opportunity. They got true joy. But the third servant didn't get either of these things. His reward was less than to be desired. It wasn't happiness and it wasn't more responsibility. What he received was total loss. He did not use what he was given, so he lost it. It was taken away from him. And what this tells us is that if you and I do not respond to the call in our lives to use the things God's entrusted to us, it will not be God who misses out or loses. It's us. We miss out. We lose. Now I want you to think of something regarding this third servant. A question that I've thought about ever since I started to study this passage. And it's this. What caused him to fail? What caused the servant to fail? Why did he not use the gifts that God gave him? Why did he not invest the money? What caused him to fail? You could say maybe it's just indifference. He just didn't care. He was just that kind of guy. He was given something valuable, just didn't care enough to do anything with it, put it in the ground, walked away. Could be that. Maybe it's because he's lazy, what his master is going to accuse him of being. It could be true. Maybe he was. It could be that he was afraid. And because of his fear, he failed to actually do anything with what he was given, which is what he says is the case. He was afraid. And though I think there's truth in all of those possibilities, I do not think that is the underlying reason of what caused him to fail. What I believe caused him to fail was this. He had a misperception of who his master was. At its core, I believe the parable teaches that this servant's failure comes from a misperception of his master being this harsh and cruel and dishonest man. And I love it because he calls him out on it. He says, really, he says, you knew me to be that man. You would have done things differently. You don't even believe that is true about me because your actions show differently. Had you thought that I was this kind of guy, you would have made that money work. You wouldn't put it in the ground. The famous Christian thinker and theologian A.W. Tozer famously said that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's the most important thing about us. Why do you say that? Because he understood this spiritual reality that our perception of God will determine our obedience to him. How you and I perceive who he is, who he is to us, will determine how we live unto him. How close we are to him, how much we love him, how much we follow him, how much we obey him. It will determine how we use the things he's entrusted to us. What comes to your mind when you think about God? The Bible popularly portrays him as father. Probably the most used title I'd say of God is father. Jesus calls him that, we call him that. But I just have to know that for some people in this room, thinking of God as father is probably more hurtful than helpful. Right? You may not think of acceptance and support and love. You may think of distance and shame 
disappointment. I'll never forget, I was a young man following Jesus. This is the beginning of my journey of being a Christian. I was in a counseling session with the pastor. He looked at me one day as, as I was just venting things in my heart. And he said, Christian, you know what your problem is? I said, what? He said, you don't understand or realize how much God loves you. And man, it was such a simple thing for him to say, and it was utterly true about me. Because up until that point, I had lived my life believing that God did not love me, but that I was often annoying to him. That I was an irritant. That I was a disappointment. That he was not for me, but against me. I would live my life if things were going well, waiting for that other shoe to drop. Because I knew God was out to get me. That's how I lived my life. Because my life experiences shaped my perception of God in that way. And maybe that's the case for you. Maybe the way you perceive God is based off of how you've experienced life. And that's why it's absolutely necessary for you and I to not let our life experiences shape who he is, but his revealed word, his son, Jesus, shape our perception of who he is. Namely, in the cross. You know, God is a polarizing character in the Bible. We read some passages in Scripture, and it can make you a little uncomfortable how angry he is at sin, how he wants to punish this wicked servant, right? We understand that he's a holy, righteous, and wrathful God. He hates sin, which makes us think, well, then he can't love us because we are sinful. And that is true. But he's also loving, graceful, and merciful. And what we see at the cross is the answer to this issue. That though we were utterly broken and lost in our sin, and though it needed to be judged, he sent his son Jesus to die for you and me. So now instead of us being under his wrath, by faith, we can receive the gift of grace and experience him as our perfect father for who he really is. To see that moment on the cross married together, all those attributes of him, his holiness, his righteousness, his wrath, his love, his grace, his mercy, in one single point in time. And it teaches us that he is really the perfect father who is not evil but good who is not harsh but gentle who is not distant but near who isn't against us but for us who has given us good gifts that we should use them journey don't you want to get to the end of your life and hear the words well done good and faithful servant i know i do and i'm thankful that i don't have to earn anything in this life but he has called me to respond, to use the gifts that he's entrusted to me for his kingdom. And I believe if we do that, we'll get to the end and we'll hear those words. Well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into your master's happiness. We're going to transition into a time now of reflection. Just give you guys some time to, to process what you have heard today. A few questions i will be on the screen. I'll give you just some space to, in a moment, in spirit of prayer, just to talk to the Lord. And listen, this is just between you and the Lord. The best thing you can do is just be honest. Respond to the questions and then see what God says and follow how he leads. So I'm going to pray for us. Let us reflect. I'll come back and we will close. God, thank you so much that you've given us these great and precious gifts that you've asked us to use, that you reward us for using, God. I pray right now in this moment that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us, God, what we need to do, make it clear, make it obvious. Give us the boldness and the courage to be honest and to step out and to follow you. We love you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.